Hello, I'm Greg, and welcome to the last of what is a six-pack of excerpts, kind of deconstructing inappropriate conversations number 150, the opening the scriptures episode from September 2014, into more bite-sized pieces. And this one will wrap it up. Two interesting things about it, kind of one from the beginning of this last excerpt and one from the end. At the beginning of the excerpt, to me, uh, it's about Peter. So if Part 5 looked at the Apostle Paul and his story. Part 6 was supposed to look at Peter, and instead I elected to skip it and focus on a few other things, because at the time Inappropriate Conversations number 150 had come out, it wasn't really a whole year or thereabouts back to Inappropriate Conversations number 131, where I had covered some of the exact same material. And even though I've mentioned throughout this particular episode that there would be some callbacks, I'd make references to scripture that I'd referred to before, either on past podcast episodes or on the blog page, the landing page called Christianity at inappropriateconversations.org has an essay that uses some of the same passages that I shared right at the beginning of Inappropriate Conversations 150. But now looking back at it, I think what I'm going to do is just a couple more talkbacks to begin the year. Looking at Inappropriate Conversations number 131. So here at the time of looking at opening the scriptures, I also can give the story of Peter its due from the book of the Acts of the Apostles. I also am thinking about maybe doing a callback to Inappropriate Conversations 81, which was Song of Songs, and maybe number 180 as well, which was the Sermon on the Mount. So maybe three more uh, heavily scripture-focused lookbacks to past inappropriate conversations. And this one, of course, this last excerpt, beginning with the question of, should I spend some time on Peter? I will, but in a, in a near future talk back instead. The ending of this last excerpt is where the Different Drummer segment comes in. And at the time of this recording, I still haven't gotten around to posting the SoundCloud clip that would put the first 20 or 30 minutes of this Inappropriate Conversations 150 together with the last 20 minutes or so to where I can connect the different drummer segment at the end with the too long didn't read intro at the beginning. For me, this episode finishes and the podcast itself from all those years ago finished with a focus on the different drummer, and that different drummer is Nicole Villacrez. One last note before we get into the last piece of the podcast is that I'm really genuinely surprised. At the day that I'm recording this, the Academy Awards have been announced, and for Best Documentary Feature, uh, the 2019 broadcast of the Academy Awards will not include as a nominee Won't You Be My Neighbor, the documentary about Fred Rogers, directed by the same uh, director who did 20 Feet from Stardom, I mentioned uh, this documentary and sort of predicted that it was probably going to have a nice awards season when I recorded an Inappropriate Conversations show live from New Orleans at Pride 48 in 2018. I do, do know that I will be at Pride 48 in 2019, also in New Orleans, also at the New Orleans Superdome. Too soon to say yet whether I will be recording a podcast. If I do, will it be inappropriate conversations? Will it be Walk the Earth? Don't know. Will I have a guest? I don't know. But if you look back to the most recent uh, episode from a Pride 48 event, you'll find me sharing the microphone with our different drummer this week, Nicole Villacrez. 
Thanks for listening. I laugh because I have a note to myself here that says, pick back up in the book of Acts, talk about the story of Peter. I'm not going to do that. I've covered the story of Peter's conversion in a previous inappropriate conversation, quoting these same passages at some length. You'll find them in um, Inappropriate Conversations 131. The episode is called Christianity 301, Taking the Bible Seriously. And despite the fact that Rob Bell is the different drummer for that episode, the episode actually has a heck of a lot to do with Peter. In the interest of time, I won't repeat myself today. I also named the Apostle Peter as a different drummer, just a few weeks later, from that October episode over into the very end of December, or the very early part of January, and the episode 136, Converse versus Convert, uh, Peter was the different drummer that day. I won't repeat the passages I shared in that context, because I also talked about him a little bit at the top of the show, this notion of sharing our faith gently and with respect. You see, I've taken some criticism for being, well, critical of the church. But remember the ending of the section in Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about um, correcting those we love, that God rebukes like a father those that are part of his family. <sighs> Does this mean that we ignore those we don't love? Well, not exactly. I look at it more as the work experience. The difference between a performance review or a performance correction and a termination. If I'm giving somebody a corrective review, They've done something wrong. I'm seeking to repair and replace the mistakes that they've made to get them back on the right track. That conversation could have a significant amount of length to it. It could take some time, and it's worth the time. Compare that to a termination. If they've already made enough mistakes and shown no willingness to improve, and I've gotten to the point of deciding that they need to be fired and replaced by somebody else, that conversation, being more serious, isn't going to be at greater length. That conversation, being more serious, is going to be much, much shorter. You've failed. Here's why. You're gone. No need to dwell on it. At that point, there's no longer hope of improvement or reconciliation. So from that perspective, if I seem to spend a lot more time looking at the church and criticizing the church and calling on the church to improve, if I keep trying to make sure that the church makes the same turn of Saul to Paul, for example... It's not because I don't care. It's actually because I do. The worst thing of all, though, is this notion of being lukewarm. Revelations chapter 3, verses 14 to 22, puts it this way. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, This is the message from the Amen, the faithful and true witness, who is the origin of all that God has created. I know what you have done. I know that you are neither cold nor hot. How I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I am going to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich and well off, I have all I need. But you do not know how miserable and pitiful you are. You are poor, naked, and blind. I advise you then to buy gold from me, pure gold, in order to be rich. Buy also white clothing to dress yourself and cover up your shameful nakedness. Buy also some ointment, and put it on your eyes, so that you may see. I rebuke and punish all whom I love. Be in earnest, then, and turn from your sins. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. 
If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come into their house and eat with them, and they will eat with me. To those who win the victory, I will give the right to sit beside me on my throne, just as I have been victorious and now sit by my Father on his throne. If you have ears, then listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. What does Jesus mean by rebuking? Did Jesus, in fact, set the example of turning critically to the church? Absolutely. The Pharisees we are dealing with today need to hear the same thing Jesus shared with the Pharisees of his age. In Matthew chapter 23, it's recorded, starting with verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees are authorized interpreters of Moses' law. So you must obey and follow everything they tell you to do. Do not, however, imitate their actions, because they don't practice what they preach. They tie onto people's backs loads that are heavy and hard to carry, yet they aren't willing to lift even a finger to help them carry those loads. They do everything so that people will will see them. Look at the straps of scripture verses on them, which they wear on their foreheads and arms, and notice how large they are. Notice also how long their tassels are on their cloaks. They love the best places at feasts and the reserved seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have people call them teacher. You must not be called teacher because you are all equal and have only one teacher. And you must not call anyone here on earth father because you have only the father in heaven. Nor should you call be called leader because your one and only leader is the Messiah. The greatest among you must be your servant. Whoever makes himself great will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be made great. How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You lock the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, but you yourselves don't go in, nor do you allow those who are trying to enter. How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You sail the seas and cross whole countries to win one convert, and when you succeed, you make him twice as deserving of going to hell as you yourselves are. How terrible for you, blind guides, you teach. If someone swears by the temple, he isn't bound by his vow, but if he swears by the gold in the temple, he is bound. Blind fools, which is more important, the gold or the temple which makes the gold holy? You also teach, if someone swears by the altar, he isn't bound by his vow. But if he swears by the gift on the altar, he is bound. How blind you are. Which is more important, the gift or the altar which makes the gift holy? So then when a person swears by the altar, he is swearing by it and by all the gifts on it. And when he swears by the temple, he is swearing by it and by the God who lives there. And when someone swears by heaven, he is swearing by God's throne and by him who sits on it. How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give to God one-tenth, even of the seasoning herbs, such as mint and dill and cumin, but you neglect to obey the really important teachings of the law, such as justice and mercy and honesty. These you should practice without neglecting the others. Blind guides, you strain a fly out of your drink, but you swallow a camel. How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You clean the outside of your cup and plate, while the inside is full of what you have gotten by violence and selfishness. Blind Pharisee, clean what is inside the cup first, then the outside will be clean too. How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You are like whitewashed tombs, which look fine on the outside, but are full of bones and decaying corpses on the inside." 
In the same way, on the outside, you appear good to everybody, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and sins. How terrible for you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You make fine tombs for the prophets and decorate the monuments of those who lived good lives. And you claim that if you had lived during the time of your ancestors, you would have not have done what they did and killed the prophets. So you actually admit that you are descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go on then, finish up what your ancestors started. You snakes, children of snakes, how do you expect to escape from being condemned to hell? And so I tell you that I will send you prophets and wise men and teachers. You will kill some of them, crucify others, and whip others in the synagogues and chase them from town to town. As a result, the punishment for the murder of all the innocent people will fall on you. From the murder of innocent Abel to the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. I tell you, indeed, the punishment for all these murders will fall on the people of this day. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets and stone the messengers God has sent you. How many times I wanted to put you in my arms, to put my arms all around your people, just as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you would not let me. And so your temple will be abandoned and empty. From now on, I tell you, you will never see me again until you say, God bless him who comes in the name of the Lord. So Jesus, you know, often, you know, one of the criticisms you have of the sort of notion that the commandments call us to love is people who fear that this is a soft gospel. This is an easy gospel. It's too light. It's too easy. That, you know, Jesus had his moments of anger. Didn't he turn over money changers tables at the temples? Yes. Jesus directed his anger for those who try to turn uh, relationship with God into a profit-making machine. I'm looking at you, Trinity Broadcasting Network, and other elements of Christian TV. I'm looking at you, prosperity gospel teachers like T.D. Jakes and others. What are you doing? You're the money changers that Jesus would have thrown out of the temple at the end of the court of a whip for crying out loud. So yes, there is an angry Jesus that appears in the Bible. His anger is directed toward those in positions of political power who wrapped themselves up in self-righteous religiosity and had the audacity to heap the burden of inequity and injustice upon his people. Jesus would have a lot of things to say to the religious right, and if the religious right would like to read them in advance so as not to be stuck with the burden of hearing them from his very voice, they should read Matthew chapter 23. There's a lot written there that is frankly directed at them. So what about the rest of the story? It doesn't make sense to me to spend this much time sharing from the New Testament in particular and talking about the gospel message and not get all the way to the good news. Plus, this good news ends with a calling. My belief is that Jesus, through his crucifixion and his death on the cross and later resurrection, fulfilled all the law. What does Jesus have to say about it? And how did Jesus reveal himself? I'm going to choose to look at Matthew chapter 28 because Luke chapter 24 is a section that I shared just a few episodes ago in the uh, Inappropriate Conversation show called The Idea of Christ, number 146. Instead, here's Matthew's Gospel, chapter 28. After the Sabbath, as Sunday morning was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. 
Suddenly there was a violent earthquake. An angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled away the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid that they trembled and became like dead men. The angel spoke to the women. You must not be afraid, he said. I know you were looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has been raised, just as he said. Come here and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly now and tell his disciples he has been raised from death, and now he is going to Galilee ahead of you. There you will see him. Remember what I have told you. So they left the tomb in a hurry, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Peace be with you. They came up to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Do not be afraid, Jesus said to them. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While the women went on their way, some of the soldiers guarding the tomb went back to the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. The chief priests met with the elders and made their plan. They gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say that his disciples came during the night and stole his body while you were asleep. And if the governor should hear of this, we will convince him that you are innocent and you will have nothing to worry about. The guards took the money and did what they were told to do. And so that is the report that spread around by the Jews to this very day. The eleven disciples went to the hill in Galilee, where Jesus had told them to go. When he saw them, they worshipped him, even though some of them doubted. Jesus drew near and said to them, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go then to all peoples everywhere and make them my disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And I will be with you always to the end of the age. Go then. Doesn't it seem that many Christians today are unwilling to go anywhere? You set up a shingle, you put your meeting times for worship, you unlock the doors for most people but not all, and you expect them to show up. But what Jesus told his disciples to do, what he told his church to do, was not to sit and wait, but to go and do. The last passage I'll share in this long, Bible-filled, inappropriate conversations episode is just a reminder of who we're supposed to go see. Because, again, even if I were to convince some churches to leave their church walls and to go out and interact with other people, my guess is that there are some corners of society they wouldn't go into. Corners of society where they have decided that those people are unworthy. They fall outside of, say, planks in the Republican Party's platform, and therefore they are not the kind of people we want to be sharing this important, powerful piece of information with. It raises the question, the obvious question, about Jesus and sinners. There are numerous examples across all the Gospels, so many that there's no way it would make sense for me to try to outline them all. I hope I've demonstrated to anybody who's not familiar with the Bible that passage after passage after passage of parallels can be found. I would have no trouble rattling off five or six examples of Jesus interacting with sinners, being criticized for it, and having an answer to his critics. Just like I had more than one example of Jesus declaring that the Roman centurion had more faith than everybody in Israel. This is not unusual for the Bible, where you have, for one thing, four Gospels that present eyewitness accounts. Now, I'm going to answer the question with just one. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Jesus went back again to the shore of Lake Galilee. A crowd came to him, and he started teaching them. 
As he walked along, he saw a tax collector, Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in his office. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Levi got up and followed him. Later on, Jesus was having a meal in Levi's house. A large number of tax collectors and other outcasts following Jesus. And many of them joined him and his disciples at the table. Some teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw that Jesus was eating with these outcasts and tax collectors, so they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such people? Jesus heard them and answered, People who are well do not need a doctor, but only those who are sick. I have come not to call respectable people, but outcasts. The story of the Good Samaritan comes to mind. Who are our neighbors? And how are we supposed to love them? Or, the question I've asked churches as I've visited churches for the Walk the Earth podcast is, which neighbors in your congregation am I not allowed to love? I want to love my neighbor as I love myself. That includes people that some churches simply don't have time for. So the last word we hear in Matthew's Gospel is essentially a go-and-do-likewise, much like the ending to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it raises the question, who should go and do likewise? I mentioned earlier, we can't trust this to someone who's going to act on our behalf, a deacon, an elder, a pastor, a priest. No. Ordinary people is who Jesus is telling to go and do likewise. The voice of any believer will suffice. And my inspiration for picking the different drummer this week comes right from this moment. Regular, everyday Christian people coming to terms with the idea that they don't just get to hide behind the prejudice of Christian religious tradition and leave out some neighbors, trusting that the Lord will forgive them because the pastor, the priest, the Pope told them so. Our different drummer is Nicole Villacrez. You know, I've had conversations on Facebook with, you know, my Christian uncle who doesn't understand where I'm coming from with this, you know, and, you know, we're, we're cordial. And we're, <laughs> You're so much more accepting than I am. <laughs> oh, well, these are my people, you know, the, I know, the, I know. and what I love is Pride 48 is my people too. So I can, I can love my groups of people, you know, and understand where they're, where they're coming from and know mm-hmm. that. When I'm with this, when I'm with a Christian who believes the way I used to believe, you know, I have to be patient with them and I have to share my point of view. Go, what? We don't hold that against you, Nicole. You've evolved. You're so cute. (laughs) You know, we all have to come from somewhere, right? Everybody has to come to things in their own time. You can't force anything on anyone. You can't force someone to believe something that they either choose not to or just don't. Right. You can't force someone to change a belief system they have. You know, everyone has to come to everything in your own time. And you've just come to it faster than some others. Sure. And some people will never get to that point. Well, I'm really, you know, I got to say thank you to everybody and the the folks I met at Pride 48 two years ago who were just so kind to me and so accepting of me as a Christian, you know, and non-judgmental. And it it was those kinds of attitudes and your attitude and TJ's attitude and the Divine Miss L's attitudes, you know, that made me go, "Mm, I got to get back to the book. Me and the book got to get together and talk about Mm -hmm. some of this because it doesn't it doesn't work with the Holy Spirit inside of me. Holy Spirit is ringing true in people who I've been taught don't have any truth. 
It's like, oh. Wow. So I'm responsible before God for what I believe. I don't get to point to a pastor or to a book and say, well, they told me, you know, no, I am responsible for my beliefs before God. Small town quacks and coolness, yeah. We're sending you a warm greeting from nowhere. Two best friends with a lot to say about small town life in the USA. Christina and Nicole got gossip to share, and they're sending every one of you greetings from nowhere. I'm hopeful that Nicole Villacrez will be a familiar name, partly because I hope that there's something of a community of Inappropriate Conversations listeners who may be familiar not just with my show, but also with Greetings from Nowhere, either having encountered me through them or them through me. Nicole is one of the hosts of Greetings from Nowhere, along with Christina and sometimes TJ. And so I encountered Nicole for the first time through that show, but her voice has been heard a couple of other times on Inappropriate Conversations. About a year ago, I put out a show called Proud to Know You, talking about my plans, still my plans, next year to attend a Pride 48 event in Las Vegas and participate in Pride, uh, Gay Pride as an event. Having come to the realization, and in part coming through that, to that realization through my internet friendship with Nicole, that I can tell myself and other people that I have credentials to walk in both of these groups. I can speak to the most arch-conservative of conservative congregations as a Bible-believing Christian who shares the faith with them. I also can go and speak to people in a pride event as not Greg the Christian showing up, but as Greg the person who cares about them as people. But that is only true if I actually go to both places. Well, I've done prison ministry and other Christian outreach events with people that I now frankly, have concerns about. I think that if I were to introduce some of those friends to some of my friends who are part of the Pride 48 community, it might not go well. I can't trust my Christian friends not to be decidedly unchristian, I guess, is where I would put it. In fact, I'm more confident in my friends who are part of the Pride 48 community to be kind and considerate of the people who actually should be demonstrating those values. Well, one person who I think above all has demonstrated those credentials in both groups to me, who's led the way, so to speak, is Nicole. She has shown that she can be both part of her Christian family, including real live family members who are no more on board with her political perspective than my family is with me, and with people inside Pride 48. She's been referred to recently as the moral compass of that community, not necessarily central to who they are as a group, but somebody who provides not only a Christian perspective whenever it's called upon, but somebody who provides a Christian perspective that understands what Jesus did, what it meant, and what he taught. An amazing thing happens when you come to terms with a couple of ideas. One of them is, it is possible to be gay and Christian, just like it's possible to be anything else in Christian. There was a time in our country where people doubted that you could be African-American and Christian, just to put that out there. So 
I get a lot of criticism whenever I make a connection between gay rights and the rights of, of other minority groups. But this isn't even trying to make that connection. It's just making a sheer statement of fact that there was a time when people believed that other people, based on their race, had no souls. And there are probably people in the church today who, people, who believe that people, because of their sexual orientation, either have no souls or clearly have lost them. Nicole provides a different perspective for both groups. Being available for people. When I reached out to her earlier this year to say, the church I'm attending may be getting closer to wanting to, to work an adult Sunday school curriculum related to some of the questions about homosexuality and Christianity. Did she have resources? And she wasn't the only person I reached out to, but she was the first person to speak, and her resources were absolutely the best. She's somebody who's walked this walk, who's gone on this journey, and has found a way to share the benefits of what she's learned both within the gay community, which is why this moral compass conversation came up around Pride 48 events, but also with the Christian community. Maybe not as directly as you might imagine, because that's a difficult nut to crack. That's a place where I think more you often get more calls for credentials there than you'd expect when you compare the early church and, and the model that was set there. But certainly for me, she's been an asset, she's been a resource, she's been an inspiration. And I know that she has said from time to time, the same thing back about me, and I deeply appreciate that. In fact, here's probably the best way of describing the mutual admiration is from her blog at ensvy.com, nsv.com. A July post called Something's Wonderful includes this paragraph. I also received a request from a fellow podcaster to be part of his podcast in a way that is incredibly honoring to me. Full of wonder. I make an exception based on the public figure standard on Different Drummer. I don't feel any need or necessarily any desire to reach out to people who I know only through some level of celebrity to tell them they're going to be a different drummer and to ask them if they're comfortable with their name being called out publicly. They're already public figures. It's kind of irrelevant. But podcasting is a different animal. On the one hand, you can, you can sort of make a claim that, hey, if you're out there as a podcaster, you're out in the public. But it isn't the same level of celebrity and it isn't the same type of Commitment. For one thing, there's not much commerce in it. Most people who do podcasting are not making a living doing podcasting. So I reached out to her and said, yeah, I'm very interested in, in naming you as a different drummer, and specifically for episode 150, because it's going to have so much scripture in it that it only makes sense for me to pick somebody who I think shares my love for the Lord and for the scriptures in much the same way, and it would be so much better if it was somebody that I actually knew. That notion of an everyday believer being the ones who go and share the good news. The biggest question I ask is whether I should identify the person by their whole name. A year ago in that Proud to Know You episode, I named Janet from Christians Tired of Being Misrepresented as a different drummer, and she was rightfully hesitant about that because of harassment that she had received due to just having a slightly different perspective on Christianity than what the religious right holds up to be true. Here is Nicole's answer. You can call me by my full name. I think it is part of how the Lord is calling me to be. I'll never forget Christina telling me of a dream she had where she was sitting on a park bench talking with the angel Gabriel. I kid you not. And Gabriel told her, we just have to get Nicole out there. And Christina's answer was like, I know, right? There was more to it, but I remember really being hit on the head with the idea that God actually wanted me to be seen. That for some reason, the things I had to say mattered. I think I'm doing right by him. I'm working on it. Well, in, in that spirit, 
one thing I can do for Nicole is name her a different drummer and say, I don't think there's someone better on this issue of pulling Christ out of the closet of Christian homophobia than somebody who has done the work, done the praying, done the research, done the interacting, asked the questions, shared the love, been patient with those who are unloving, accepted willingly the love of those that she's gotten in return, because some of the people that she's interacted with online are not at all used to having Christians being even remotely kind, much less loving. She's done the work. She deserves the credit, both in the sense of being an everyday believer, not somebody who's the next St. Augustine, for example, but also in the sense of somebody who I find to be a person who has led the way. When I hit this moment in my walk of finding Greetings from Nowhere as a podcast, I had mentally gotten to the place of understanding what the Bible said and what Jesus wanted me to do in relation to gay people of all sorts, gay Christians, but also gay people who are far, so far away from Christianity it's not even a conversation point, and allies who are perhaps because of the way the church has acted so far away from Christianity that it's a non-starter. But that moment of interaction was, to me, it was all intellectual. It was all head. Getting that to move fully and completely from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge, it required the leadership of others. It required an example that I'm not sure I had prior to listening to some of the folks in the Pride 48 community, in particular, that community's moral compass, Nicole Villacrez. I realize with the length of this show, it seems somewhat wrong and almost dismissive to have such a relatively short, different drummer segment. But remember, I started the show with the too-long-didn't-read version of where my heart is on what the Bible says we're supposed to do about you know people that we encounter in our life who may not be on what some folks call the right path. And I shared that in the first 10 or 15 minutes to make it easy for people who didn't want to hear more than two hours of scripture. Hopefully the different drummer segment, you know, in the context of that too long didn't read intro, is appropriately sized and appropriately shaped. Normally, this is the place where I'd tell you that if you have if you'd like to participate in this conversation, I can be reached at IC underscore Greg at hotmail dot com and that there will be uh, show notes, probably a long list of Bible verses for this episode, on the website at inappropriateconversations.org, with comments enabled there. Again, I don't usually end these inappropriate conversations shows with a prayer, but this one feels appropriate, just based on the mix of religion versus politics and pop culture that this incredibly long 150th episode represents. So if, and as you're led... Please join me in prayer. Lord, I sit here amazed that I am at 150 episodes. You know, Lord, from my prayer life, that there have been times that I've worried about being somewhat manic, a little bipolar, in the sense that you can look at that from the perspective of projects started but never come to fruition, or things that are up and running for a while but fade away quickly. I don't always see things through. Lord, I've got friends that I can thank and credit for perseverance in this area, listeners in particular, and you, Lord. I don't know that I get to 150 on my own steam, 
It's not that I didn't think I had more than 150 things to say. It's just I didn't know that I'd have the, the willpower to say them. Lord, I hope that the words that I've shared today, many of them your words, Lord Jesus, have been shared in love and have come from a place of love. Because as Paul has said, and as you have said, without love, there really isn't much point in presuming to lead anyone anywhere. In your holy name we pray. Amen. part of the pride 48 network find more shows over at pride 48.com